Today's scripture reading is from Romans 1, 18 to 23, and chapter 2, verses 1 to 4. In your pew Bible, that's pages 111. Romans 1, 18. God's wrath against sinful humanity. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godliness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Since we may be known what God is plain, is plain to them, because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the worlds, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has made, been made clear, made so that the people are without excuse. For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him. But their thinking became futile, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools, and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like a mortal human being, and birds, and animals, and reptiles. Chapter 2, verses 1 to 4. God's righteous judgments. You, therefore, have no excuse, you who pass judgment on someone else, for at whatever point you judge another, you are condemning yourselves, because you who pass judgment do the same thing. Now we know that God's judgment against those who do such things is based on truth. So when you, a mere human being, pass judgment on them and yet do the same things, do you think you will escape God's judgment? You do the, or do you show contempt for the riches of his kindness? forbearance and patience, not realizing that God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance. Good morning, everyone. So uh, before I begin, one uh, plug for children's ministry. Today, what you saw in baptism is the reason to be in children's ministry, right? Like those of you who have served in the past in the last three to four years, seeing Izzy going from a 10-year-old to now a teenager, right? Your involvement is what led her to that place of this morning celebrating her baptism. So if you need a reason to serve in children's ministry, that's, that's the reason to serve. So just want to encourage you to do that. Um, but with that out of the way, um, I'm going to play uh, your soundtrack from a TV show. And I want you to guess what that TV show is by this soundtrack. All right. Anyone know what that is? No. Uh, uh. no, no, okay. Uh, maybe not a lot of people have watched the show. Is, is the show uh, American Idol? Okay. You did say that. Okay, sorry, I didn't hear you. Yeah, okay. Yes. Yeah, so that, yeah, that's the show called American Idol. And I still remember the, watching the very first uh, season of American Idol in 2002. That's five years before the first iPhone ever came out. Rooting for Kelly Clarkson, 
so people know Kelly Clarkson. So for those of you that don't know American Idol, it's a con like a talent con contest show where people come on and showcase their talent, usually in singing. Uh, actually, it's all singing. There's other shows now that do other talents, but this one is all singing. And so then the, there'll be judges who, who judge the talents, and then later on, it's up to actually the audiences to vote for who their favorite person is. And so Kelly Clarkson in 2002 became the first ever American Idol. But we know she was not the very first idol ever, right? Like, we have people like Michael Jackson or Madonna. I couldn't think of another female artist, but Madonna was the only one I could think of who may have been an idol for some of you. And so there has been men and women throughout the years that, have people, that people have idolized and even, you could say, have worshipped. And I find the title of that show so ironic. They don't even try to hide the fact what of what they're trying to do. They aren't being subtle or trying to be, be sneaky. They blatantly want to create the next American Idol. And the show spends millions of dollars and have millions of followers who watch week in and week out to determine who the next American Idol will be. This is done through performances that the judges uh, evaluate, but ultimately it is the fans and followers of these contestants who crown the next American Idol. If Paul were to have heard that people were creating their own idols by voting for them, I wonder if he would have said something similar to our passage today. Verse 22, although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like a mortal human being and birds and animals and reptiles. Therefore, God gave them over in the sinful desires of their hearts to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. They exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshipped and served created things rather than the creator who is forever praised. Amen. In these few verses, Paul paints a picture of those who have exchanged worshiping God with worshiping idols. In verse 23, they exchanged the glory of the mortal God for images made to look like mortal human beings, birds, and animals. And in verse 25, they exchanged the truth about God for a lie by worshiping and serving created things instead of their creator. This is what idol worship is. It is when we exchange or replace God who we have been created to worship with anything else. One helpful definition of an idol is by an author named G.K. Beale. He writes a book called, I'll tell you what the book is called later. He says that an idol is whatever your heart clings to or relies on for ultimate security. An idol is whatever your heart clings to or relies on for ultimate security. The idol is whatever claims the loyalty that belongs to God alone. We're in this series called When in Rome, Making Home in the Empire. Greg talked to us last week about the Roman Empire and the cult of Caesar. Caesar was worshipped by the people of the Roman Empire and has titles such as the Son of God, King of Kings, Prince of Peace, and Lord of All. Christians didn't invent these titles, but rather they were titles that were used to worship and to claim allegiance to uh, Caesar and ultimately to the Roman Empire. It was not only a way of aligning oneself with the God, but rather to a way of life. They weren't just worshiping Caesar, but more importantly, the life that was afforded to them by pledging allegiance to the Roman way. 
as we look at our passage today, I want to turn your attention to what Paul is doing here. He's writing to the Church of Rome, where there is a mixture of both Gentiles and Jewish Christians. He is writing this letter with a desire to unite them because they were fighting over whether or not the Gentiles should be following Jewish customs and laws. And in this section of our passage, Paul is making the point that all of us, whether Gentile or Jew, are under the power and weight of sin, and that all this brokenness is based on who we worship. If you recall, the very first commandments of the Ten Commandments is about worship. You shall have no other gods before me. In fact, the very first four commandments of the Ten Commandments are about who we worship. And the reason why Paul starts off with idol worship is because of who we were made in the image of. In Genesis chapter 1, verse 27, we see that God created humankind according to his image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. And because we are made in the image of God, we're to image who God is. But we can only rightly image or mirror God as we are in relationship with the one in whom we were made in the image of. Another way to put it is that we become what we worship. We become like what we worship. Who do you think is the most impersonated celebrity of all time? Yeah, Elvis Presley. He is the most impersonated person of all time, and there are professional impersonators who are called Elvis tribute artists, or better known as ETAs. <laughs> Not only do these impersonators have an acronym for what they do, this is how they make their living. There are people who will pay hard-earned money to watch someone impersonating Elvis. So even Elvis has people who create idols of Elvis, right? They're not even worshiping or following Elvis. They're following a copycat of Elvis because they want to experience uh, the, the Elvis Presley experience, I guess. But this isn't only true with celebrities, right? It can be true even with simple and good things like jogging. I saw a post online where a woman joked about his, uh, her husband and said, you know, my husband used to be a Baptist, but now he's a jogger. You know, she's saying it in tongue-in-cheek, it's a joke, but there's a little bit of truth in that, right? Though he used to be known as a Baptist, because he's, he's gotten into jogging so much that he's loved it so much, now his label, what people call him as, is, oh yeah, you know, Mike is a jogger. I mean, I see this in myself. Uh, when my friends took me mountain biking for the very first time, I went in like track pants. I knew, I, know, I knew nothing about mountain biking except that, you know, you have bikes with forks, right, and springs. So I'm in my like track pants, you know, just a t-shirt, I had like hiking sh shoes on, uh, I didn't have gloves, so my friends had to lend me a glove, right? So I went bike riding, and it was fun and tiring and all of that. But then I started to really get into it. And once I started getting into it, I realized, well, I need the right clothes, right? Everyone else has these clothes. So I had to get like bike shorts, I had to get a bike shirt, right? And then I needed the right shoes, so I had to get, you know, uh, biking shoes, I need to get my own gloves. And then I realized, well, I can't keep boring my friend's bike, so I need to get my own bike, right? And then you should just see the world of mountain bikes. 
there's so many parts and components and how certain components don't match with this and it's just like a, you really need like a PhD in it, right? So like I'm studying it, I'm checking on YouTube if these components fit with my bike and it doesn't and then I have to get a different one. And then I started watching more YouTube videos on how to ride and, and you know, learning how to bunny hop and all this stuff which I can't do. But now, YouTube is feeding me with more videos about mountain bikes, so I'm just like, oh, okay, I'll just watch another video. Or I get sales or deals on you know, more clothing. I'm like, oh, you know, there's another deal here and another deal there, right? And soon enough, my life is starting to get oriented by mountain biking. Like, you could ask Jin, now my even scheduling is starting to get reoriented depending on when I could go mountain biking. Now, there's nothing wrong with jogging or mountain biking or even following Elvis Presley or Taylor Swift for, for their creativity of, of music and, and for the good things that God has given us. Yet, when we make good things the best thing, then we are taking good things and making them into an idol. It's easier for us to though, recognize when bad things in our lives are becoming idols, right, that we worship and how, how they hurt us. But it's really the good things that we need to be careful of, of worshiping. G.K. Beale, which I mentioned, he has a book written called We Become What We Worship. He, this is what he says about idol worship. He says, what people revere or worship, they resemble, either for ruin or for restoration. What people revere or worship, they resemble, either for ruin or for restoration. This is what Paul is trying to say to us in this passage. We become what we worship either for ruin or for restoration. As people have exchanged worshiping God with idols, they become like the thing they worship. And because we were made to worship God, when we worship anything else that is not God, it leads to ruin. This is because we believe that God is the source of all life and in whom we are made in the image of. To replace that image of God by mirroring anything else leads to death, because God is life. I mentioned before that Paul repeated the words exchange. He, in fact, uses that word exchange three times, followed by the words God gave them over. As human beings exchange their maker for another, they are handed over or given over by God to the consequences of their idol worship. If you look at verses 24 to 32, Paul is giving an example of what happens to those who worship something or someone other than God. The fruit of their worship will lead to sexual immorality, greed, envy, murder, strife, gossip, etc., Sylvia Kismat and Brian Walsh wrote this commentary called Romans Disarmed. They write that idolatry is what happens when humans who were created in the image of God refuse to image that creator. And idolatry bears the bad fruit that Paul is about to describe, beginning with human sexual life, but then proceeding to vices that tear apart the fabric of social and economic life through their promotion of injustice. So this is what we see Paul describing here. We humans who were made in the image of God, to image God, have exchanged God for other images that are not God. And when we do this, we become like what we worship, and that worship leads to bear bad fruit. We become what we worship, and when we worship idols, 
It, it is to our ruin. As some of you may have noticed that this passage mentions uh, verses 24 to 32 will mention uh, same-sex relationships as something that God has given them over to. I'm not going to focus on this issue as that's not the point of the overall passage. But what I do want to say is that most scholars who are on both sides of the issue agree that Paul is against same-sex relationships in this passage. What there is a difference of opinion on is whether or not Paul is speaking to all forms of same-sex relationships or to a very specific type of same-sex relationships that were part of the Roman society. The traditional view believes that Paul is speaking to all forms of same-sex relationships, whereas the progressive view believes that Paul was speaking to specific non-mutual relationships such as sleeping with underage boys, slaves, and temple prostitutes. There are Bible-believing, Jesus-loving Christians and scholars on both sides of this issue. Um, So I think it's important for us to first know the arguments of both sides and to do so in a loving and respectful way. Greg and I can uh, direct you to some more resources for you to read if you were interested in learning more about the subject. There's a lot of books out there, but we could try to direct you. But let me bring us back to what the main point of this passage is. The main point of our passage is that both Gentiles and Jews, that is all people, have exchanged God and have worshipped something or someone else. All are under the bondage of idol worship, and it is in worshiping of idols that leads to our ruin. It is the predicament of all people throughout history, but also of us who live in our current empire. The question that I want us to think about in our current empire of Toronto, in this world of globalization, the internet, and social media, is what or who do we worship? Oh, sure, we can say, oh, we're all at church, so of of course we worship God. But I think the poll is real, right? Yes, on Sundays at church, I can say I worship God, but as we enter into our culture we live in, it is very important for us to recognize the influence of our culture and the influence that it has on our lives. I was thinking about, like, what's another word in our culture for idol? I was thinking, you know what, it's... The influencers, right? These people become what we call social media influencers. And these people become influencers because of the millions of followers they have on social media. Do you know who the number one uh, followed Instagram person in the world is? It's Cristiano, Cristiano Ronaldo. So it's a soccer player. He has the most Instagram followers in the world of 787 million followers. Just imagine the kind of influence you can have on that many people. I looked up the number of people who follow different religions in the world, right? And Christianity and Islam are up there in 2 billion, so we're still safe, right? We're up there. Uh, But Ronaldo himself would place fifth on the list of religions, more than Buddhism, by more than 280 million people. So Ronaldo has a greater following than Buddhism by more than 280 million million people. 
And these famous people become influencers because they are able to influence you to do what they want, or more importantly, to buy what they want you to buy, or the services they are recommending. And influencers are, are paid by these com- companies because they know it works. And so that's why they pay these influencers money, because they know that they can influence you to buy certain products and to consume. One thing about idols, uh, Sylvia Kismat and Brian Walsh argue that idols are insatiable, meaning they always want more from us, demanding our children, taking our lives, and leading us to death. This desire for more and more that leads to death is precisely the culture that we live in. We worship the idol of consumerism and our way of life in that we venerate the almighty dollar sitting on our thrones while we feel sorry for all the people in the world who aren't like us or at least don't have as much, much, you know, whether it's money, but at least our kind of lifestyle. We welcome and people from all over the world come to our country for a better life. And we welcome them in, converting more people to the cult of consumerism. And I'm not saying there isn't anything good about our society. There are very just laws that are out there, and there are things that are good for us. But yet, not all things are good here. If we believe that our way of life in Canada is what Jesus is calling us to be, we are losing sight of who Jesus is. Did you know that the word culture comes from the word cult? It is when you are part of a cult and you conform to their way of being and and their way of life that you become enculturated or you become cultured to that cult. And the early Christians were accused of being a cult because of the way they were living. And the way they were living were countercultural to the cult of Caesar. They were being... uh, they were living their life in a different way than the Roman culture and pledged their allegiance to Jesus as Lord and not the emperor as Lord. They were being subversive, taking the words and symbols of the Roman Empire and exchanging them to give right worship to God known in Jesus. So again, the question for us to consider and reflect on is how are we going to be countercultural to our empire called Toronto? We do believe that the way things are is what, do we believe that the way things are is what God is calling us to embrace? Or are we to live in ways that, that see Christ as Lord and not the empire? Uh, one last thing about idol worship. You know, some of you may be feeling as though, well, I don't really have idols in my life. I don't, I'm not really into things that much where, you know, those things influence me that much. Sure, you know, the shows I watch uh, can influence me a little bit. People I follow, sure, I listen to what they say. Uh, you know, I would listen to news. But we're not really becoming those things. Well, I, I think the biggest idol that we have to worry about is not something that's out there, but rather something a lot more closer. We, like Adam and Eve, want to be like God. We ourselves want to be our own God where we decide the fate of our own world and destiny. It is the cult of self. We decide who we follow. We decide who we watch. It comes down to our own choices of what we, all, what we want to consume. And if we don't like it, we can cancel. We could dislike, unsubscribe, or we can switch churches. Because really, it comes down to my choice. 
Meaning you can be a spiritual person and still be all about yourself. You know, my pew, my ministry, my gifting. Eugene Peterson, a pastor and a, and a theologian, says that we've all met this type of spiritual person. She you knows she's a wonderful person. She loves the Lord. She prays and reads the Bible all the time. But all she thinks about is herself. She's not a selfish person, but she's always at the center of everything she is doing. How can I witness better? How can I do this better? How can I take care of this person's problem better? We live in a world that caters everything and personalizes everything so that they can sell us the next best thing. Our phones hear our conversations and gives us ads and personalized, personalized searches for what we need. Everything is catered towards me. It's in the midst of this culture we are called to look beyond ourselves to Christ. It is only when we can look to Jesus instead to ourselves we can rightly image the one we are looking to. Again, listen to what Eugene Peterson says about what the spiritual life is. He says the spiritual life is getting so tired and fed up with yourself that you go on to something better, which is following Jesus. You get so tired and fed up about looking at yourself that you go on to something better, which is following Jesus. So let's go back to that definition of what an idol is. An idol is whatever or whoever your heart clings to or relies on for ultimate security. The idol is whatever claims the loyalty that belongs to God alone. So what is that idol in your life? Is it money? Is it success? Is it popularity? Is it your career, your family, or your legacy? Is it yourself? And I think one of the best ways to know what you really worship is how others will label you as. How do they see your life in action, and what would they say is your love? What is your love? What are you known for? Are you known for, again, a jogger, mountain biker, a great parent, a great worker? Would they say he or she is someone who loves God? And it doesn't mean you need to go around wearing, like, I love Jesus, right? Or honk if you love Jesus. But that because your life is infused with love for Jesus, that it impacts everything you do, and people can tell. And how can they tell? Well, they say fruit of the Spirit, right? It's love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control, right? And that is the fruit of the Spirit. So if people see that in your life, then they could say, that, there's something different about that person, and that person loves God. So I want to end our time with giving you space to hear from God. What might God be saying to you about what or who you are worshiping? Let me give you a few minutes to pray, and then I'll end with prayer.
Jesus, we thank you. We thank you that you've made us in your image. And that you've made us to be in relationship with you so that we can rightly uh, live and mirror who you are and to flourish in this world. Yet, God, we are pulled in so many directions with so many things vying for our attention, our time, our money, our resources. And sometimes we are just pulled and, and um, I don't even realize. Sometimes we're numb. Sometimes we don't have the energy. Yet you're a God who is patient, who is kind, who is loving, who is waiting for us. And that is in your kindness that we can turn to you in your pursuit of us, your desire for us, that we can turn back to you. So Jesus, give us um, clarity, give us awareness, and um, soften our hearts for you, that we may be able to fall in love with you more and more, and that you would continue to woo us and draw us closer to yourself, and that you are doing that every day. Um, and help us just to be able to hear and listen and recognize your voice. Yeah, God, teach us how to love you more and to even love you with the things of this world and, and the people that you've given us. Teach us, Lord, how to love you and to love others.